Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You are listening to Any Given Sunday, a part of the Dead End Podcast Network. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and all other podcasting services. Please make sure you check out Dead End Hip Hop, Dead End Sports, Dead End Gaming, Is the Mic Still On, Chris Platt's Strictly Hip Hop and Hoops Talk, and a host of other shows on our podcast network. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. For Sunday, November 10th, 2019, this is Any Given Sunday. I am your host, Manny Brown. What's up, everybody? Hopefully you guys had a happy, safe, blessed week. I am back with another episode of the podcast. My guest this week is, uh, we were debating how to introduce him. Uh, he's been a guy that I've been following on Twitter for a while. Uh, I like his baseball conversation, so I decided to have him on the show. Uh, sports betting and gambling extraordinaire. Uh, unfortunately, he's a Patriots fan, uh, so we'll, 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 uh, we'll let that slide for now. Um, as long as he doesn't say anything obnoxious about uh, the Patriots, we're, we're good, right? Um, ben Porter, what's going on, man? Welcome to Any Given Sunday. Hey, Manny. Thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. Of course, of course, man. Uh, like I said in the intro, man, I've been following you for a while. Uh, I like your uh, your uh, your um, your thoughts on baseball specifically, but on all the but on, but but especially on other sports as well. Um, you know, so you have a lot to say, and uh, I like I like that. So I just decided to bring you on the podcast and have a conversation. Sounds sounds like a good fit. Oh, cool, cool. Um, before uh, before we get into it, uh, I always like to have my guests kind of just you know, introduce themselves to the audience that, that may not be familiar with them and, and may not follow them on Twitter or whatever. So, or wherever. Um, so just briefly tell the world who Ben Porter is. Yeah. So kind of a, a loaded question, but I'll, I'll summarize <laughs> as best I can. Um, I grew up in the Boston area. As Manny said, I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan. So hopefully you don't all hold that against me. Um, but sports have always been a huge part of my life. I played baseball from a young age and I carried that through high school and through college. Um, so baseball is really something that I've always been passionate about. And if you see me on Twitter, on social, um, you probably know that. So yeah, I love talking about baseball, other sports as well. Um, the sports gambling expertise comes from my job. I'm currently a sports trader in Philadelphia. So I'm in that sphere as well, but Sports 24-7, uh, a little bit of a, a snapshot as to, to what I think about all the time. So excited to talk some sports with you, Manny. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, how is it living in Philly uh, since you grew up uh, right outside of Boston? Where, where, where in Massachusetts did you uh, grow up exactly? Uh, Newton, Massachusetts. So no one from okay. Boston will, <clears throat> will accept uh, me saying I'm from Boston. <laughs> but no, I get general, it. General, <laughs> greater Boston area, yeah. Um, yeah. But Philadelphia, Philadelphia is great. I do like it. It has a kind of a small city feel like, like Boston has. But when I say that Philly fans are passionate about their teams, it cannot be um, overstated enough. It's unbelievable how, how wild they get. Is, it, is, is, the, is the caricature of them accurate in the sense that they're rude, obnoxious? Because you know how sometimes that, thing, that sort of thing kind of gets overplayed. Um, yeah, yeah. Is it- um, I, would say, I would say it's overplayed uh, a little bit. 
I mean, I will say don't, if you're not obnoxious and kind of egging on Eagles fans, if the Eagles are losing or something of that sort, um, everything's, everything's going to be fine, but, but they get very intense, um, about their sport. Right. So it's a, it's a little bit, there have been, I've seen some altercations a little bit, but nothing that you wouldn't see at any other stadium or in any other city. Interesting. Interesting. I always like to ask that question because, you know, you, you know, it's funny, I, I, being from New York originally, um, I didn't, I didn't engage with as many Philly fans as, 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 you know, obviously I know uh, being a Jets fan, obviously we don't play the Eagles that much, but um, yeah, I'm always interested to see that dichotomy and to see if the, the hype is, is worth is worth it. You know what I mean? Cause you, you hear the worst things about Philly and Philly sports fans in general. Um, and it's, yeah, they're, it's, they're like any other passionate um, <clears throat> fan base. I mean, they, they had their, their long share of struggles. So kind of built up some, some anger, I guess. But I think, uh, I think they're like hostility towards just other mm-hmm. people in general. Um, it's probably a little bit, overstated uh like i said unless you're being being obnoxious at one of the events uh, right. you'll, you'll certainly hear it right and there's always a handful of assholes that just you know are just idiots you know but that's not indicative of an entire fan base or an entire city of course because so, yeah. i'm you know in, in new york we have the same thing so it's 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 yeah so yeah every, everybody um, has them yeah yeah absolutely um so what about you man uh you grew up a red sox fan um now you're now you're a young guy did you did you you you've grown up a red sox fan in the glory years obviously right you've 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 got to experience and live three championships or so um how has that been like Uh, have your parents uh family members relatives exactly you know have they kind of given you shit about that that you you kind of came into the red sox fandom when it was when it was good (laughs) um i I have been very, very lucky uh, with with the time I was born and really became became a fan. I hear it more about the Patriots than I do about the Red Sox. Um, that I don't know what it was like, <laughs> and I hear it from I hear it from my friends a lot. Um, not so much my family, believe it or not. We're all, we're all kind of in it together and still still win and lose together, rooting for the same teams. But you know, I've always been around. Uh, around fans of of the Sox, the Patriots, the Celtics, etc. So um it's kind of ingrained in me and even though I haven't felt, you know, a, a, a long drought, I kind of I kind of understand um you know, I, I live and die with with the teams as well. So I do catch right. catch some flack from my friends about it, but I, I understand how lucky I am. So, and how is that? Because you know, I always find it interesting that you know you're you're like the Red Sox, an unlucky, maligned franchise for a long time, always successful, always in the mix, but just never could get over that hump for those eighty six years, right? And then they just become this, you know, essentially the pseudo dynasty. How you know, just from your friends and people that you've talked to, how is that dichotomy now of having to root for this? You know, I know they've had some down years here and there, but for the most part, they've been an extremely successful franchise since, you know, basically 2000 on. Um, how is that, you know, going from the the team that could just never catch a break to being basically this juggernaut year in and year out, having an opportunity to win a championship and winning three championships in, what, 15 years or so? Yeah, um, four, actually. Four, yeah, four. Uh, shit, I'm, I'm, I'm underselling them. I forgot about the uh, 2013. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, that, that one goes... Uh... <clears throat> Actually, 2007 probably goes unforgotten unforgot- the most. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting dynamic. Um, I would say that 
it's kind of something that every Red Sox fan um, looks back on and kind of uses to to kind of frame the success that we've had now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Red, Red Sox fans can, like any other successful franchise, can be can be obnoxious to other people, um, but I think everyone has felt uh, at least at least the older generations some people who are slightly older than me you know they felt the the struggle and the kind of the whole the drought the 86 year uh championship list <laughs> streak <laughs> with the with the curse of the bambino it's something that I grew up with so i think it's something that we don't we definitely don't take the success for granted because our uh fan base has gone through that yeah, I mean it's, uh, that's that's interesting to me because I mean obviously I'm a Jets fan, so I can't even <clears throat> I can't even imagine a world where like the Jets all of a sudden just started winning multiple Super Bowls and it just became <laughs> like something that it was the new norm. Like I, I I can't imagine a world like that. So I've, I've always interested when when like fans of of teams that have had those long droughts or those those malign streaks or whatever, and they just all of a sudden turn around. It just it's it's always that interest. Do you do you notice that the passion has subsided a little bit because I. <clears throat> I have read other writers and people that have that have intimated subtly, I guess, that um, that that passion, that fervor, has you know satiated a little bit. That it's not the same. Not saying that they don't love the team as much as anymore, but that 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 hunger and that just that ferocity is like it's live and die Red Sox every day. And if they don't win, like the sky's falling type of thing. Do, do you notice right. it? Just your fandom has has that satiated a little bit in the last you know fifteen or so years. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that um, Red Sox fans are as passionate a bunch as as I've seen of any any fan base, mm-hmm. um, and that that remains true today. I will say that kind of the way it's expressed is a little bit different. Um, early two thousands, I was young, but I was you know I'm old enough to remember and to experience kind of the hostility between the Red Sox and the Yankees and kind of the tail end of the curse. Right. So it was more, it was more, um, the expectations were lower, but it was just as devastating to lose each year and just exciting to win each year. Um, because there was so much on the line at that point. Um, now I think, now I think it's, I don't want to say less special. Nothing will live up to the 2004 um, break the curse right. championship, but I don't think that anyone is, is less passionate or kind of uh, kind of less involved with the Red Sox. Interesting. Interesting. And do you remember where you were that 04 championship? Do you remember the moment, the time, the day, the, the, what you had for dinner that day? I mean, just, do you remember that day so vividly? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I was, I was home with my family. I was, I was still young, but, um, you know, it's something that, that every, every Red Sox fan holds dear to them. I mean, we've all seen, we've all seen the clip, um, a million times we've watched the four days in October documentary. Um, I, I remember how it all played out very, very vividly. I mean, the, the city was ecstatic, obviously. Um, so that's something that will always be be near and dear to me that that time that year 2004 so 
I think every Red Sox fan will have the same answer. Interesting. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, one thing before we get into uh, some of the topics we want to talk about, but, um, you know, how is it now doing sports gambling? Um, have you always been somebody that's into sports betting? How How is that? How did you, uh, we talked about it offline, how you got, got started with that, but just kind of just talk to me about your history with just kind of betting and gambling and um, right. And where do you see that industry going in the next 10 years now that it's been pretty much legalized across the board? Yeah. So it's an exciting industry to be in right now. You just, you just said that it's, it's becoming legal in um, a lot of States. Mm-hmm. I think in, in a couple of years it will be legal everywhere. Right. Um, and that's, that's really exciting. I think, I do think sports gambling is something that has a little bit of a, a taboo associated with it. Um, I think people think gambling, addiction, uh, degeneracy, but what I see sports betting as is a way to kind of make a game more exciting, uh, whether it's a game where one of my teams isn't playing. Um, if you put a little something on it, you have something to root for, um, and it makes it a little bit more real. So that's what I really like about it. Um, and that's what I think people across the nation will like about it. Um, I got involved with it on a trip to Las Vegas with my family a couple years back. And while we were there, obviously it was the only place that gambling was legal. So got Mm -hmm. to, um, talk with, with my dad about what, what bets I wanted to put in. We kind of analyzed some, some games and, and such. And it's something that kind of just hooked me. I mean, not in a bad way, uh, just something that I've been interested in ever since then. So I was lucky enough to get a job in the industry, and I think that it's going to take off. Nice, nice. And then you're right; it does have that stigma still of of uh, you know you're basically uh, you're basically working for the mafia if you do <laughs> if you do sports gambling or sports betting. Exactly. Um, I'll tell some people what I do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let me play devil's advocate for a second, um, because I, I've heard this criticism a lot, especially with kind of older fans and people who who only know sports gambling and sports betting in a certain light. Right. Um, right. You know that you guys aren't sports fans, that you guys are just kind of in it for the money or in it for the thrill of victory, that you can't really enjoy the game. And I've literally heard this like you can't really enjoy the game for the I guess the the, the, the athletic competition of it or the, the pageantry right. of it. You just enjoy it. It's it's you gain something from it. Kind of the same right. similar criticism you get the fantasy football that you're not really watching the game. You're just kind of watching stats and people right. score and it, it's taking that. Do, do you do you obviously I think you're going to say no, but do, do you really feel that way? Do you feel like some people have that in them or do you do you think that they're sports fan that, that it's just an added bonus that they get to kind of make money off of it? I think for the vast majority of people who bet on sports. Um, it's more just for the, it adds a little bit of enjoyment, but it's not taking anything away from the sport. Um, there are people who, who do this for a living that may not even watch sports that can just um, kind of find ways to exploit the betting market. But mm-hmm. also, you kind of mentioned uh, personal gain from it. Most people are not on the winning end of, of wagers. So, you may win a couple here and there. You may lose a couple here and there. But in the long run, you're really not going to be making much money. So I do think that it's just for a way to enjoy games. Um, it makes 
it makes games that may seem like blowouts or that are blowouts rather, I should say, um, it makes them interesting. It keeps you involved with the game until the last second. So it's, I don't agree with those criticisms. I think you can have money on a game and easily, easily appreciate all the things that you would appreciate if you were watching it from a neutral standpoint. And what, what advice, you know, cause I've never been into gambling. I've never been into sports betting. I don't knock it. Just, it's never, <clears throat> it's never been my thing. Right. Um, but what advice would you give to someone that <clears throat> is trying to get into it? I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice here. <clears throat> but, uh, what advice would you have to somebody that's trying to get into the into the into the arena? Maybe as doing what you do, or even just from a gambling perspective, just you know placing bets or whatever. What's the first piece of advice that you would give someone? Yeah, um, definitely think about things. Don't just throw your money around. That's the number one way <laughs> that you'll lose money. Um, yeah. I'd say don't have action just to have action. Um, I'll find myself if I ever feel like that, if I ever put in a bet last minute, just because I want something on the game, um, you tend to lose those bets because you're not thinking you're kind of just, you kind of just panicking and want to put money on a game. So I would take some time, kind of figure out what games, what teams you like, what players you like, what you want to root for, and then kind of assess from there. Um, and then one more thing is, is don't expect to win and don't overreact to winning. <laughs> if you win a couple sports bets, you feel like the smartest guy on, or, or girl in the world. And then you might want to double down, triple down. And then next thing you know, you're, you're out, right. you're out a couple, <laughs> you're out a couple bucks. So be careful with that. Try to keep a neutral head. Y'all hear it here first. A little advice there. Um, is there is there like a certain philosophy when you're making when you're placing a bet? I mean, do you do you, and again, this is me. I, I've never placed a bet in my life. I mean, that's outside of like you know, hey, I bet you twenty dollars uh, the Mets are going to win or whatever. Like, but right. as far as just like a, on a professional level, is there a certain philosophy? I've always been interested by that. Like, do you like let's say like yesterday, right? You're you're gambling on college football. Do, right. Is there something that you look for? Is there a particular game or you know? This team, you know, doesn't do well in daytime games. This team has has lost their last three matchups to, you know, unranked team. Like, is there a certain philosophy that you, as a as a bookie or a gambler, have to look forward to, or kind of, you know, kind of guide your 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 gambling advice on? Right. Um, you'll see you'll see kind of random trends all over the internet. Anyone mm-hmm. who claims to be a handicapper on Twitter will say ranked teams who just entered the top 25 lose 65% of games versus unranked teams. Something, something random like that, that may kind of seem like a trend, but really doesn't hold much weight to it. Um, there's not really, there's not really one thing that you should look for because if there was, everyone would do it and everyone would win. Right. Um, what I would say is that all the lines that you look at, there are thousands of other people looking at the same lines. So if you think that, you know, if you think you really found a, a diamond in the rough or you really found like a winning, winning strategy, um, I would just be cautious with that because 
chances are a lot of other people have thought the same thing. And the line is still what it is for a reason. So there isn't one thing to look for. Um, it's, it's extremely difficult to win at sports gambling. Um, you kind of have to, you kind of have to look at a lot of data and reverse engineer kind of a, a model that you have to trust blindly. Um, and you have to bet in volume if you have that type of, of trend or model. So that's kind of a little bit more advanced. Casual bettors don't definitely do not do that. Um, right, right. But if people are serious about winning, you have to do a lot of a lot of digging through data and kind of statistical analysis to to really come out on the winning side. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's an it's a, it's, a, it's interesting uh, it's an interesting field, man. I've always been interested by it. I can never work up the guts to try to gamble or try to bet. I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I'm pretty smart at sports, but I'm not smart enough where I'm where I'm gonna you know basically put my money on the line. So yeah, so that's that's well, I'm that that's, guy. That's so. smart. That's smart in itself. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. I like to think so too. <laughs> but yeah, man, let's move on. I brought you on the show because uh, you know you're you're a baseball freak just like I am and and uh this is the best time of year if you're a baseball fan in a lot of ways because the off season gets percolating the winter uh the GM meetings are actually getting ready to start up here I think this week um mm-hmm. and then of course sure we're about a couple weeks away from the uh from the winter meetings so you know figured it'd be a good time to kind of get the get the blood boiling on some baseball talk uh, before we get into it, though, uh, let's just kind of recap the World Series a little bit. Um, were you? Yeah. I don't. I don't remember what your original prediction was, but uh, were you shocked that the Nationals won? Number one and number two, the way that they won. Yeah, um, I didn't make an official prediction. Um, I probably, I think I would have. I think I said with my friends, I'd take the Astros in six games. Um, I wasn't I wasn't shocked that the Nationals won. I think that if you watch them down the stretch, if you watch them in kind of the the NLDS, the NLCS, you could see that they they kind of just had that magic that most playoff teams or uh, World Series championship teams have. Um, they had a, a great they had a great dugout. Um, they had a lot of energy. They never felt like they were out of a game. Those are all things that you have to have if you want to win the world series. Um, that said the way the series unfolded was surprising to me. You know, I thought the nationals had it in the bag after they beat Verlander and Cole, uh, on the road. And then, you know, it kind of, it kind of flipped back. The Astros took three and I thought the Astros had it in the bag. So (laughs) it was, it was interesting. Um, the only thing I was rooting for the whole time was game seven. So we're lucky enough to get that. And we got some, some great moments out of it, but I wasn't shocked the nationals won, but I, I did expect the Astros to, to come out on top. Yeah. Um, I, I will admit I was a little shocked that the, uh, that the nationals won um, just because I, I, I bought into the narrative of the, the layover and the layoff or whatever um, mm-hmm. the long, almost a week and a half of being off that they had, I kind of bought into that a little bit. I was just like, man, for a team that's so hot, that's that's just on fire. Really, since really since September first or so, um, you kind of want to keep playing. You want to you want to you want to be out there as many days as possible. You don't want to, yeah. Because you know, I've seen that layoff kind of hurt you. Um, 
you know, I, I think it, it hurt the Mets a couple of years ago in 2015 when he went up against the uh, the Royals. Um, I thought that layoff kind of hurt us a little bit, um, right. especially our bats. So I, th- I, I thought that that would play a role in the series. It, it didn't at all, which was surprising. And just like you, um, the twists and turns of the series kind of was interesting. Um, it was a weird series, man. Like, I, it just <laughs> – obviously, we've never seen anything like that uh, where, you know – the road teams basically win every road game and the home teams yeah. lose them all. I, it just, it was just the weirdest thing ever. Um, the twists and turns of it. I, I really thought, I didn't think the, I didn't think the nationals were, were, were going to win after the first two. I know they took, two, you know, they took, they beat Verlander and Cole. Um, I, I still thought the Astros had some life. I didn't expect them to sweep all three games in DC, but I, I did think that once they swept those three games in DC, I thought the Astros were, were home free. Uh, so I was yeah. shocked at the Nationals won game six. And then of course, game seven, the way it played out. Um, yep. w- were you one of those that, uh, that uh, critiqued AJ Hinch's handling of uh, the game seven pitching situation there uh, with, uh, with Granky and Cole, right. and Cole never getting into the game. Yeah. Um, I thought Granky was, I thought Granky was pulled at the wrong time. Uh, I would have left him in. I also would have, Cole was in the bullpen kind of mm-hmm. waiting. I mean, yeah. if you're going to empty the chamber, you got to empty the chamber. So I do think that, and, and this is all in retrospect, you know, if it worked out, we all would have been like, Oh, AJ Hinch is brilliant. Um, but you know, when you have an arm like Garrett Cole, who's basically a closer that starts games, um, I think you, you got to use him regardless of, of what rest period he was on. You know, if he tells the coach he's ready to go, then he's ready to go. So I, I do think uh, Granky was pulled at the wrong time. And I, and I would have liked to see Cole in there. If anything, just as a, you know, as a last resort, it's like, let's, let's empty the chamber. Let's give it our, let's give it our all. We'll throw our guys and then we'll see what happens. If they lose after that, I don't think anyone is going to uh, critique Hinch. I think Hinch was caught a little flat-footed, though. Um, I, I think a I don't think he expected Granky to be as dominant as he was, and right. b I think that he I think he wanted Cole to start an inning. I don't think he wanted him to bring him in in the middle of an inning. I think that's that's always a weird situation when you bring in a starter who's not used to being coming out of the bullpen, especially a guy like Garrett Cole. Um, that's right. always I think a recipe for a little bit of a disaster. So I think I, I get I don't kill Hinch as much as other people do. I, I think he wanted to start an inning with Cole. Um, I agree. The only mistake I think he did make was taking out Greinke and putting in um, uh, Smith. I think that yeah. you let I think you let Greinke finish. I think he's earned. I think with his performance, I think he earned at the very least um, staying in that inning. And if it's tied, then you deal with it. But you know, I think he should have left Greinke in a little bit longer. But yeah, no, I I I, I agree with you. I, I, some people were ripping Hinch a little bit too strongly. I I, I think I I really do think he just kind of was in a rock and a hard place. I think Greinke was so good. I don't think he even expected it. I don't even think he game planned for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then um, obviously having Cole out there in the bullpen, I just don't think he really wanted to bring him in in the middle of an inning. I think he was just trying to trying his best not to. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's and and that's why and that's not why they lost the series per se. I mean, look, no. the Nationals, they they, you know, give that team credit. I can't stand them, but I mean, give that team credit. I mean, there's so many big games that they won. Um, Strasburg's performance in Game Six, um, you know, I mean, just it's so yeah. many things that that turn that series and turn that tide for that team that you know it, you can't just put it on one pitching 
or non-pitching no. change that would have definitely not. Yeah, no, I agree. Had, the Astros had a number of opportunities to to capitalize as well um, throughout the whole series, and and they didn't. So, you know, you can always look back at uh, certain moments in a series, but it's it's a you have to look at the whole. So. And one one more thing on on Granky just just quickly. Um, Granky's Granky's not a guy. He's not a velocity guy. You know, right. stuff's not stuff's not electric. It's not like Rendon hit that home run because you know he had emptied the tank and and didn't have anything left. And it was just a it's a great hitter <laughs> having a great hit. So I, I think uh, it might have been a little bit of an overreaction. It's not like he his velocity dipped because he didn't. He doesn't have any velocity to begin with. It wasn't one of those um, pulls. So that's kind of my reasoning behind wanting to keep him in. But A.J. Hinch is he's a big league manager, and he's world champion for a reason. So I, I'd say trust him. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I'm not going to kill Hinch. I mean, the only thing I didn't like was bringing in Will Smith on back-to-back days. I mean, Will Smith just had yeah. started to show that I don't. Th- I think he was just kind of tired and just – had had just he just he he'd had it um um so i think bringing in smith in that situation especially after the rough outing in game six i, I didn't understand that um i would have brought in azuna if you're going to take granky out but don't want to bring in cole per se i bring in azuna there to get those big outs and then start yeah. the or whatever with cole um and i'm not saying anything revolutionary i'm sure some people have already mentioned that of course but um yeah that's what i would have done but yeah no i, I look I, i'm i would say if you if you had to place ba- blame on why the astros didn't win i think their offense just the entire postseason i just didn't and i think i mentioned it to you uh the night you went uh you went live or whatever i, I just i didn't love their offense i mean their offense this entire postseason was really kind of hit or miss and it's surprising for a team like the astros that you know i know that you know the they have Cole and Verlander, but they're an offensive team. They're an offensive juggernaut. That's what they're. Oh yeah. And yep. their, their offense just to me just was not great the entire postseason, but this world series, especially. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's strange to see, to see that from this type of offense too. They're, they're a team that. Great hitters. Yeah. Great hitters. Well, great hitters. And they're kind of, they don't strike out, which yeah. is, obviously how the game is kind of changing they're they're a team that consistently puts the ball in play and and when that happens you expect that <laughs> you expect that things will happen um that's kind of been their mo since since when they did win the world series um and and they just couldn't couldn't cash in a lot of a lot of weak fly balls um just a lot of missed opportunities and and I agree with you they they do have the firepower on the mound but their lineup is on paper is is second to none, and they really didn't deliver. Yeah, and I, th- I think the biggest moment of that series, honestly, was was Game Six. I, I want to say it was either sixth inning or seventh inning. They get two guys on against Strasburg, and you got Altuve and Brantley coming up, and yep. especially Altuve strikes out. I mean, it just it that 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 was the series right there. I mean, it just it, yeah. In a lot of ways, that was the series. I know they had a lead in Game Seven and all that. Obviously, we talked about what happened in Game Seven, but I mean that. Who knows? They get a big hit there. Um, they're not playing on Wednesday night, so yeah, yep. You know. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's interesting. Um, so yeah, man, let's move into the off season. I mean, let's start with the Red Sox. Um, obviously, your team, your baby. Um, yep. Let's start with them. Um, I I have a weird take on the Red Sox. Um, and I, 
I, I kind of don't know what they're doing. Like, I think the Red Sox are kind of stuck in in this no man's land of sorts where I don't like. I almost feel like the Red Sox want to tear it down, but they can't because they're there. They are the Red Sox. So they're kind of stuck in this like, like, I, I guess we compete, but we don't really want to because we don't really want to pay all these guys. So we're just kind yeah. of in this in this like limbo. And it's a weird place to be, especially if you're the Red Sox. Like, I almost feel like they almost regret winning that 27 or that 2018. <laughs> oh, man. Call um, me crazy. Call me crazy. No, no, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> I it's. It's baffling to me what what they're. I, I agree with you. It feels like they want to tear it down. Um, there's no no reason to not give Mookie Betts a blank check. Yeah. And people people will say like they don't have the money, but well, to be fair, it sounds like it, not to cut you off, but it, but to be fair, it does sound like it's more Mookie just from the outside of perspective. It sounds like it's more Mookie wanting to just test the market and be a free agent than it is the Red Sox. From from just for me, from outside perspective, I don't, you follow them every day. You're more involved with them every day, so you would know. You correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what it sounds like for me from the outside looking in. That they've tried to engage Mookie, and he's just had no interest. In I, I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. Um, Mookie's definitely expressed interest in in testing the free agent market. He would, he's obviously going to get enormous offers um, from right. whichever team. Uh, whichever team ends up making him an offer. Uh, that said, the Red Sox have expressed plenty of interest in taking money off the books, um, and this would be one of the ways to do it. I mean, they just they just hired Chaim Bloom, um, who is who's known for you know he helped build the Rays into the team that they are with the rich and talent at an inexpensive cost, um, and. You know, trading Mookie is one of the ways that they could kind of help rebuild the farm, take money off the books. So I, I do think that the Red Sox front office is is looking into that just as much as Mookie is looking into, you know, testing testing the market. But from my perspective, I, I think you just I don't understand not trying as like doing anything possible. If you want to take money off the books, you could, you could trade a Benintendi. You could, you could do whatever it takes to keep a guy like Mookie in Boston. Um, but going back to what you said about kind of how it feels with them, it's, it's weird. It's such an, I think an overreaction to, you know, not a great season after winning the world series. There aren't too many different pieces on this team than there were on the 2018 team. So I don't think there should be panic. I don't think there should be any talk of, of rebuilding right now, but it seems like the way the front office is, is moving, it's it's kind of like a pseudo pseudo rebuild while also trying to compete. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that, man. It's so weird, and I, I hate those pseudo rebuilds. To me, either you're all in or you're all out. I, yeah. I know that the Yankees get all this credit because they rebuilt on the fly. Uh, that's a little bit overplayed to me as well, because I think the Yankees never really truly rebuilt. They got lucky on some, you know, they got lucky one year that the Cubs were desperate and gave them Glaber Torres for Chapman. They got lucky right. that they had Andrew Miller and they were able to get a ransom for him as well. So, you know, the, the, the whole thing that the Yankees, you know, tore it down and built it back up. It's, it's a little, 
it's a little overplayed. Um, but yep. to me, I, I think that if you're going to rebuild, you rebuild or you're going to compete. You, you can't can't have one toe in each pond. Like either you're gonna you're all in, you're trying to win a championship, and that's all you're doing, or you're trying to you're trying to tear it down and rebuild. And I I, I just hate that. Um, yeah, the Red Sox are weird, man. I, I don't I I don't understand the Dombrowski firing. Um, I know me and you kind of got into it with that. Uh, I, I don't get it. The guy won a championship last year. I know he gave out some bad contracts. Um, look, sale. I, I can't blame him for sale. You guys had gotten sale for the low for so long that, you know, you had to pay up at some point. And yep. I don't think anybody, I don't think any Red Sox, Red Sox fan expected this season from sale. Um, no, price. Sure. Okay. You can kill him on the price deal. Um, I, I never understood that deal. Um, still to this day, I don't understand that deal. Um, yeah, some of the contracts, the Porcello, the, the the price ones, you want to kill him on that, I guess you can. But still in all, the guy did win a championship in dominant fashion, one of the dominant teams we're ever going to see. Yeah, definitely. I, fire him? Not even after the season. I mean, you fire him basically in August? I, 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 I did he did he piss somebody off? Like I'm sitting, like I've been sitting here trying to speculate for weeks and months now. Like, <laughs> did he cut somebody? Did he have a Me Too situation? Did, did like did he? Right. I, I, what happened? Like, I, it just it makes no sense to me. No, it, it it was confusing to me as well. I mean, there were within Red Sox Nation, there were a ton of mixed feelings about that. People were people were happy. People were confused. People were upset. Um, I'm I'm more kind of where you are like he won a championship he brought great players to boston he set us up for success it's expensively yes but i mean it paid off and 2018 they're absolutely dominant so i do think the timing of it was was more media related oh let's let's get let's get the media off our back for for playing so poorly we'll, we'll fire dombrowski because we're going to do it anyways but the reasoning for that, I think, is more its more personal within the front office than it was um, on field. I do think that there was some tension between uh, ownership and Dombrowski, and they kind of had deviating mindsets as far as what to do with the team moving forward. So I, I still don't entirely understand the situation, um, but... Yeah, it it was weird as for the timing. I I do think it was a kind of a media trick. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. The, the whole and the whole. Well, he deserved because, and I was surprised how so many in the Red Sox media circle kind of supported the move. I, I just, I, I, I mean, established guys, guys like Shaughnessy. I mean, guys that that I'm sure have a, have their own agendas and probably didn't like. Dombrowski, uh, whatever the case may be, like I was right. just so surprised that they were just so on board with it. I'm like, what exactly did he do that was so terrible? A, he won a championship, and okay, well the farm system was not in great shape. Who did he trade in acquiring all of these pieces and these assets that that he could, like? I don't see anybody that he gave up that has truly been a true loss. Like Moncada, right. okay, Moncada's a nice Moncada. player, but he's, he hasn't turned into. He hasn't turned yeah. into anything. Kopech has come out with Tommy John, so we still don't even know what yeah. he is just yet. Like, what exactly did the Red Sox? What young prospect that that you know Red Sox fans are are, are longing for? Like, my God, I can't believe we gave up on this guy. Who is I know, that? And, and I don't see it. You know, and now now we have Devers at third. So who needs Moncada? Um, right. You know, it's 
I, I'm totally with you, man. I, and and we got the guys who helped win the championship, and that's what, in my opinion, that's what his job is. He was known to be a big spender. They brought him in. He made the trades he needed to make. They won three straight AL um, AL East division titles, and then he won a World Series. So you can't ask for any more than that. Literally, you can't ask for more than that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't get it. And then the whole core of the team. I mean, the core of the team is still young. I mean, again, like you said, you got Betts, you got Benintendi, you got Bogars, you got Devers. Um, yeah. Bradley's still there. I mean, you you know, Christian Vasquez. I mean, you have a still a pretty young core. I mean, it's not like these guys are 35. So I just I the whole Red Sox situation is very very confusing to me. Um, I, I I don't know what they're trying to do. Did you like the Heim Bloom hire? Uh, yeah, I I did. Um, I think he's I think he's well respected. I think he knows what he's doing. Like I said, with the Rays, he did a great job with them. So I trust him. Um, I do trust him for the the long term well being of the franchise, but. I mean, we'll see how he handles this offseason because there's a there's a lot to do. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's something that's a question to revisit in a in a couple months. But I did like I do like the hire as of now. Sometimes I worry about those guys like Heim Bloom, those those Tampa guys, those small market guys. When they get those big market jobs, they they tend to still bring some of those small market attitudes to big market yeah. teams, and I don't think that works as well. Like I, I don't think that philosophy translates well, and I think that's why the Dodgers haven't won in, in a lot of ways because I think that they're still kind of I think Friedman's still stuck on like he's running the a, a basically a more expensive version of the Rays, and I don't necessarily think that wins you championships. It builds you up right. for lasting success through 162, but right. you know for 11 games in October or whatever, I, I just don't really think that's a recipe for success. Um, so I worry about some of those small market guys that get these big market jobs and, you know, everybody just thinks, Oh, they'll just be, they'll just become, you know, they'll become Dombrowski types. Like I, I don't see that. So that right. would be the one area that would concern me a little bit from a high and bloom perspective. Well, they, I think they brought him in for that reason. Um, right. He's the polar, he's the polar opposite of Dombrowski. Um, and I think that they were looking for a guy who's, you know, who's going to take that kind of approach. Now I, I think that, I think it could definitely evolve a little bit because you can't really equate the Rays market with the Red Sox market. Um, but I think that's the direction that they want to go in terms of uh, the guys they're bringing in in the front office. So, and and like I said, I like him. Um, I like what he did with the Rays, but I'll be interested to see, like you said, how he handles it in so much bigger of a market. So JD obviously picks up the option. He's going to stay. I'm sure. I'm sure the Red Sox front office wasn't happy about that. Um, <laughs> so just play this out for me a little bit. Like, it, it just just put your your magic eight ball on for a second. I mean, where do you see this offseason for the Red Sox going? Um, do they trade bets? Do they keep them and just say f it? We're just going to go with it for one final year and see where we are, and then make a decision at the end of the year, one way or the other. What? Where exactly? Do they go play this out for me? Uh, well, it's, I, I think everyone was surprised when JD opted in. Um, he's a Scott Boris guy. Scott Boris is not known to just kind of take, take an offer or kind of 
do that type of thing. So I think everyone, including the front office, was was surprised at that. I wish I could say that my gut says we'll keep Mookie, but it doesn't. That's just how I'm feeling from what I'm uh-huh. seeing, from from the vibes I'm getting from the front office. Um, I think Mookie, I think he's going to get traded. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Jackie Bradley traded as much as that would hurt my heart. Um, that wouldn't surprise me either. I think if they trade Mookie, that's kind of showing commitment to really undergoing this this process of of taking money off so i i think he'll end up somewhere else i don't think we'll get much in return for him um there's been speculation about signing yasiel puig if if we got rid of mookie which you know eh, whatever but so that that's how i'm feeling i don't think unfortunately it pains me to say it i don't think mookie will be on the team uh as of as of next season that's a hell of a sell. Hey, we're trading Mookie Betts. Here's Yasiel Puig. Like, what? <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, okay, all right, yay. You're like, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, I don't I, The only problem I have with the trading of Mookie, what exactly are you getting back? That, that's the thing. Because to me, if you're going to trade a guy, like, I hate trading a guy just for the sake of trading him. Like, oh, yeah. well, we're going to lose him anyway, so let's just trade him. Like, to me, you've got to get some value. And you're never going to get all the way fair value unless you just make a home run deal. But to me, just trading a guy for the sake of trading a guy, I, I, I don't like. Um, I might as well just keep the, the guy and just get the draft pick for the compensation for what you're going to get. Because you're not getting a major haul back from Mookie Betts. I mean, who's giving you you know, two top 10 prospects? Like, Who's giving you that for a guy who's, who's no. all but said is going to be a free agent? Like he is not signing an extension with anybody. If he won't sign an extension right. with Boston, he's not going to sign an extension with San Diego or, you know, I don't know, Atlanta, whoever. Name a team that's going to take a shot. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't no, see no it. No way. Right. So to me, trading a guy for some pieces, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, that's the only issue that I have with the whole trading of Mookie is they missed their opportunity to trade him. Cause if they were going to trade him, they're going to trade him after the world series when his value was, was at an all time high. Right. They didn't obviously. So what exactly are you expecting to get from him now? Yeah. A year in which, you know, he still, he still played great, but he regressed obviously. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's, there's no, listen, we're on the same page here. <laughs> I want to, I want to keep him. And if they do decide to trade him, they, they better it better not just be an offload because you know that's I don't think is the right way to approach anything. Yeah, and if you do trade him, then just say you're rebuilding. Uh, to me, the wise to aspect of like this whole pseudo rebuild thing, it's like if you trade Mookie Betts, okay, why stop there? Why not trade Benintendi? Why not trade uh, right? You know. Yeah. And see what you can get for all these guys. I mean, if you're really committed on just getting under a certain threshold from the tax perspective and getting some prospects, then just why stop there? Don't don't tell me you're going to trade Mookie Betts for some pieces and then hey, here's Yasiel Puig. Like, uh, but we're yeah. still trying to win. Like, no, you're not. Right. Well, you know that's that's the Red Sox. That's the Boston market and the media. <laughs> that's what happens there. You can't you'll get crucified if you say, you know, we're not trying to win. So I, I hate it. I wish they'd be upfront about it, what they're trying to do. Um, yeah. Either, either say what you're doing, either say you're not trying to compete or say you're trying to compete. Just, just don't kind of, right. yeah. 
Right. No, yeah, we're on the same page. I'm actually surprised we're on the same page. I, I thought you would be a little bit more in the middle on this one, but no, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't understand the Red Sox at all. I really yeah. don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's move on a little bit. Um, the managerial hirings or openings or whatever. Um, yep. Has there been a hiring that surprised you a little bit? Do you like some of the candidates that have been interviewed across the board for all the jobs? Like, what's what's the yeah. one manager hiring that that's kind of surprised you? Um, I was surprised at Beltran being hired. Mm, me too. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of speculation as to as to who they who the Mets would hire and whether he'd just be a puppet. Um, I mean, I I love I love Beltran. Um, I think after he retired, there was always, you know, every everyone knew he would stay in baseball and he he would make a a good coach at some point. Um, I don't know if this is the right fit for him or the Mets. We'll see how he works with the management there. But um, that was one that definitely surprised me. I thought that they could benefit from more of a, a veteran type manager. What, what do you think about that? Uh, I'm with you. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't want to say I hate the hire because I do like Beltran and I do think right. he has the opportunity to become a good manager. Um. You know, he has a lot of – I get a lot of Alex Cora vibes from him. So I, I do yep. think he has the opportunity to be a very good manager in the right situation. Um, I just – for this situation in particular, like, I, I, I don't like the hire. I just – I don't. And it pains me because I like Beltran. And um, right. I'm one of the fans that have that have said that Beltran for a long time was underappreciated by Mets fans. Um, I, I like Beltran a lot, but I just don't like the hire. I mean, to me, you had Joe Girardi in the building. He wanted the job and you don't hire him. And yeah. I just, I, I don't understand that. I, I cannot for the life of me understand. I mean, I understand it. Brody's running the team. He wants a guy that he's going to, you know, he's he, the Mets are going in this new analytical wave, just like everybody else. And they want a, right. a guy in the front office who's quote unquote collaborative. I get it. I understand it. My thing is you can't come out in the in the press conference and be the owner, be Jeff Wopon, and I know he's an idiot anyway, so I trust what he said. So, but yep. You can't be Jeff Wilpon in the in the in the exit, you know, press conference and say, you know, the reason we fired, you know, Mickey Calloway is because we our goal is to play in October and we want a guy that's gonna get us to October. You can't tell me that, and then a month later you hire Carlos Beltran, a guy who's never managed a big game. Right. And you interview yeah. guys like you know, Buckshaw Walter and, and Joe Girardi. Like you, you can't sell me that and then tell me, oh hey, here's Carlos Beltran. I, I I don't understand it. And I would live with the I would live with Joe Girardi not being hired if he if, you know if he went to San Diego or he got hired by the White Sox or whatever. Right, right. But he becomes the Phillies manager. So now I gotta look at him for nineteen times a year. I, I just <laughs> yeah. It I, I don't know man. I'm not I'm I, I I want it to work. Obviously, I'm a Mad fan, so I want it to work. I'm, I want to be excited about it, but I'm just not. And I always think it's funny when you hire former players, borderline Hall of Fame players, to be the manager of your team. Because if it goes right. bad, that situation always gets ugly. Like, how do you fire Carlos Beltran in three years if he's bad? Like, it, you know, like, how do yeah. you fire? Like, that's like the, like, that's the Celtics, you know, bringing back Paul Pierce as a head coach. Like, you, you <laughs> right, do that right. to a guy and then he sucks, then it's like, okay, you got to fire Paul Pierce. Like, that's always yeah. a tricky situation. And that's why the Knicks never hired, you know, that's why the Knicks never hired Patrick Ewing because it's always hard. 
I'm sure that's why the Celtics have never wanted to engage Larry Bird in being anything, any, any, any involvement with the team on an executive level, just because that's, that situation always gets ugly. Um, yeah. So that's the other aspect of this too. No, I, I agree with you. And and you mentioned kind of the Cora comparison. You know, Alex Cora was never that level in Boston um, when he played. Right, right. And I, I, he's definitely one of the guys who's going to, connect with the players as kind of the modern manager tends to do. Um, but like you said, I mean, he's also gonna, he's also gonna have to be collaborative and I don't know. I, I mean, it, it does create an interesting scenario. I think that they have potential to, to compete in that division. It's an impossible division to predict, but I mean, we'll see how he does personally, but it, it does make a, a weird dynamic between, him and Mets fans and yeah I mean it's the it's the ultimate boomer bust hire like it I could see it being a big yeah. boom where he's just great and a natural and it's just like wow this guy just he has it you know like Cora yeah. um, or he's a bust candidate he's another Mickey Mickey Calloway and that's the issue and that's the other thing that bothers me too it's like you we just went through this with Mickey Calloway so now you bring in, but now I know people would argue, well, you trust base, you know, you trust, you know, Carlos Beltran's baseball acumen over Mickey Calloway's. So yes, I get that. But the, the philosophy of the, the point is you you went through a first time manager with Mickey Calloway and the growing pains that comes with that. Now you bring in another first time manager and there's going to be growing pains with that. So I, I, for a team that's in a much better position to compete than even when Mickey Calloway took the job two years ago. That now, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got a squad here that's ready to compete. They're ready to win now. So, I, I yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I I have mixed feelings on it. Again, I like Beltran. I want him to succeed in a way I think he can succeed. I just don't know. I, I also think I could see it going both ways. I could see it being a, just a disaster, too. Um, yeah. But you know, they, they get off to an 0 8 start, and Beltran has to answer questions. And, yeah, it's, it's – it's, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Um, where, where do you where do you lie on the the the, the new managerial trend? Um, are you one of the guys that like that would that favors kind of more of the old school approach, or do you favor kind of the analytical collaborative quote unquote? You know that's their favorite word now, collaborative <laughs> right. front office. Uh, where do you lie on the whole the the distinction between the two? I think there's definitely a happy medium. Um, I think you know. There's there's guys like like Beltran, Alex Cora. You know the Cubs just hired David Ross, um, former players who you know they've coached. They're going to be a great locker room presence. They're going to connect with their players. They're going to be analytical and embrace analytics and collaborate, like you said, with the front office. Um, I think that's great. But you know that said, you're always going to have guys like like Terry Francona and Joe Girardi who have been around baseball for so long. And when those guys, the kind of old school, more old school managers start to embrace, you know, the analytical stuff, I I think that that's more the perfect formula for, for a successful manager. Uh, And that's not to say that these young guys, these former players can't, can't do extremely well. I mean, they all know baseball, as well as anybody, but I don't think you're going to see the, the old school manager get phased out just yet. Um, I do think that we're on that track and kind of, we're getting some, some hybrid managers right now, and then we're moving in that direction, but I don't think that it's, it's totally over. Yeah. I think these things are cyclical. Um, uh, you know, yeah. 
Uh, that's the new wave now. Just like in the NFL, everybody wanted the next Sean McVay. That was the big rage. Well, the next Sean right. McVay. You had coffee with Sean McVay. You're a head coaching candidate. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I think these things are yeah. typical. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm more of the old school guy. I'm more of the old school approach to me. I, I, uh, I'm not, I don't bash analytics. I do think it gets a little too much with the analytics. Like, you know, Pete Alonzo ate eggs for breakfast. So the days he eats <laughs> eggs for breakfast, he gets three hits. So you should bat him second in the line. Stop. Like, stop. Like, a hundred. I'm, I'm with it's you a hundred percent there. Yeah. It's, it's just too much. It's too dorky. It's too analytical. Like, stop. Like, watch the games. Get a feel of the game. Get a feel of them. Like, watch the games. Like you can't yeah, grade yeah. game on a computer. Like it just, I, I, it infuriates me. Like, okay, I don't, I don't mind having some information and some extra data. That's the way of the world. Progress is good. Like it's not a bad thing that we have more yeah. information, and more data at our disposal, and that's not a bad thing. But when you're just using it solely on data to base every single information, I have a problem with that. And like to me, the the manager, the coach, whatever you want to use it, whatever you want to say. Like the great guys, the great guys that have always done it in this sport, they go on feel, they go on watching the game, you know, yeah. you know, you know, imagine, imagine, they will use the basketball. Imagine some, some 23 year old stat geek in, in the, in the Lakers front office telling Phil Jackson back in the day, you know, Shaq, right. you know, Shaq really on, on day games, um, Shaq really doesn't play well. So we should bench <laughs> Shaq and yeah. start, you know, um, you know, Slavic Medvedenko, like so no, like it's, it's, Phil Jackson would curse this dude out, like no, get the hell out of my office, like right. Like, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it was only a matter of time before I brought up the Patriots, but I mean, I mean, Belichick still uses pictures on paper on the sidelines, like he refuses to use a tablet. It, it's not, it's not analytical. There's no one feeding him stats over the thing. I mean, his. His uh, quote a couple of years ago: "Stats are for losers," <laughs> which you know I, I don't I don't agree with. But at some point, you know, you, you like you said, you gotta watch the game. You can't have people coming into the front office who have never played, you know, they, but they can read a, an Excel sheet. I mean, and and I get right. I get in arguments over this a little bit on Twitter. Um, like all these all these stats these days, UZR and you know. I don't even exactly. know what they are. Like, I don't even know what they stand for sometimes. Like, what? Exactly. So, somebody's exactly. UH, UHD. Like, what? What is that again? Like, what? <laughs> that's, huh? what that's what I'm saying. If it looks like, you know, it looks like fourth level calculus in college, it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I no. It, it's, it's become too complicated. It's, it's. Yeah, I, I I'm with you all the way, man. I, I just I don't get it. And again, I, I don't I don't have a problem with analytics. Like I don't have a problem with having data and information. And I'm sure Belichick you read some stats. I'm sure that he has an analytical department somewhere in right. in Foxborough or giving him some information. I'm sure of that. Now, is he using yeah. that in every game, every single scenario? No, of course not. But I'm sure that he has some information. So again, you can use it, but when it just becomes an over reliance on it, uh, I yeah. just you know. Yeah, I, I, I don't well, understand. Yeah, that's why that's why you need these you know these people who've been around the game, and it's good it's good that these former players you know they have the on field experience, they have they know what it takes. Like they've been they've played around good coaches, they've you know they've mm-hmm. they've seen all types of stuff, so they have that level. Um, the question is whether or not they take they 
collaborate, like you said, with uh, with the front office too much and kind of take orders from them based on these stats. So it'll be interesting for yeah. sure. Yeah, and the whole co- you know the whole connecting with players that 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 drives me insane too. Like, oh, Girardi, Girardi didn't connect with the young players on the Yankees. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to Game Seven of the American League Championship Series and right, could have right. easily won that World Series. So, if Todd Frazier's fly ball out in Game Six goes over the wall, did did and they make the World Series? Did did he connect with his players then? I, I'm confused. Did did he <laughs> did he do a good job right. of connecting if they made the World Series? I, I, I just the narratives that these media organizations sometimes put out there, like yeah, you know, 100%. He, he him and Gary Sanchez weren't Facebook friends, so. You know, Girardi's <laughs> right, right. not a new age. Like what? Yeah, like, he lost yeah. the clubhouse. Yeah, did he? He. I, I wish. I. I wish Girardi could lose the Mets clubhouse if, if that's going to be the result. <laughs> if they if they make it within a game of going to the World Series, and he has uh, ten winning seasons in a row and a championship, I, like yeah, I, w- I wish he could lose the clubhouse. I really do. Lose the clubhouse <laughs> yeah. more often. Best. Like it's, it's just ridiculous, man. I, yeah. I I agree with you, man. It's all blown but, out uh, let's, of proportion. Let's, Let's hit these rapid fires to uh, finish the show. Um, yep. I'm asking for a prediction. Um, best of your knowledge, no inside info, obviously. Um, of course. Garrett, Garrett, Garrett Cole, where do you see him signing? Oh, boy. Um, Yankees. Really? Yankees. You think yeah. they're going to bite the bullet and and just give them that money, huh? Uh, I do. I do. Um, it pains me to say it as a Red Sox fan, but I think it makes sense for them. I also think that, you know, they might feel kind of desperate this year if they, they had as good a team as you'll see them have. And they're going to run into the Astros at some point. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're going to have to deal with the Red Sox and the Rays and the division. They need something to really push them over the edge. So. Yeah, I don't think the Yankees, honestly. Like, I think the Yankees are, it, weirdly enough, I think the Yankees are kind of doing the Red Sox thing where they're 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 trying to be more prudent financially. Um, they're not. I, I think they'll spend money on position players, but I think with pitchers, I think they'll just be like, uh, we're not spending, you know, $250 million on a guy who could get Tommy John surgery tomorrow. I, I think they right. – I think they – I could be totally wrong. Watch tomorrow. Right. Gary Cole, the 300 million. Like, I, so I, I, this is no inside info. I just think the Yankees, I think Cashman's under a different, and just the, yeah. the defiance of it. Like how, you know, I don't know if you heard that press conference with him and Sweetie Murdy got into it, but uh, you know, just kind of the defiance that I hear a lot from the Yankees front office. Like, you know, we, we know what we're doing. We're doing the smart, we're doing it smart. Um, right. I, I think if George was still around, I think Gary Cole would be a, I think he'd be a Yankee by next, you know, by the next hour. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I think times have changed. I don't think the Yankees are going to spend that kind of money. Um, yeah. On I, mean, Cole. I really don't. All right. That's, that's fair. Where do you think? We'll go? I mean, yeah, you, could be right. you could be right. You could be right. I mean, like I said, yeah, I mean, every, you, could, hey, you could throw any team out and we, we could all be right. You know? Um, I hear the angels a lot and obviously that's yep. the, like the media favorite. I think the angels, um, I can see that just cause I think Artie Marino is going to get desperate. I think trout, they're going to have to try to do something with trout eventually. Right. Like they got yeah, to have to try to have to, they brought in Madden. So I don't think they're going to try to just together with a bunch of, you know, schlocks out there. Um, yep. I can see the angels basically giving them a blank check and saying, Hey, you know, 
come 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 play here. Um, I I think it's going to be definitely a California team. I can I don't see the Dodgers. That's not a Dodger move. No, um, I, I agree with you. Um, I think the Angels. And here's a surprise: the Padres. Oh, you think so? Okay. I think the Padres have to do something. You know, yeah. the Padres have kind of been dipping their toe in this pool in this pond now for a couple years. Obviously, the Hosmer, the Hosmer deal hasn't worked out um, the hmm. way they wanted yep. to. Um, Machado. I, yeah, Machado. You know, I, I could see the I could see the Padres just saying, you know what, the hell with it. Let's just go. Let's just go with it. Let's just go. Let's give them a three. You know, let's give them two fifty for eight years with an opt out after three or two. Right. And that way we got ourselves covered, you know, in case it doesn't work out, he can opt out or in case we just, we, we run up the bill too much. He can opt out after two years. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I can see the Padres as a, like a sleeper, but uh, obviously the angels, I, I, I would, yeah, I think, the angels make I think the most the angels, I think the angels are a good choice too. I mean, like you said, they brought in Madden, they want to do something. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it'll be Cole or, or Strauss or whoever, but, they're gonna. They're definitely gonna sign a pitcher. So, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Rendon. Um, I don't know if they'll do it. But I kind of like the Mets for him. Oh no way! They're not doing that. You know that, man. Don't, <laughs> even, don't even tease me like that. I know. Don't even troll me like that. Come on now. Uh, the Mets with Rendon. I would love it. <laughs> I would. I would freaking do a cartwheel right now, but I, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they'll do that. Um, it's, it's weird. What do you, real quick aside, real quick, but do you think the nationals, obviously they're going to have to choose between one or two. I don't think they're going to bring back both, but if right. you're the Nationals, who do you decide between Rendon or Strasburg? I think it's gotta be Strasburg. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to overreact to the, the world series MVP or whatever, but I mean, he has been nails every time he steps onto the mound and that's their, that's been their game. I mean, their, their rotation has always been good. Um, and you got him and max as a one, two, you're going to, you're going to be successful. And that's not to say Rendon isn't amazing. I mean, he's been one of the top, one of the top players for the past couple of years, but I think you got to stick with the rotation. You got to keep him in the mix. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's what I would say. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit. I would, I would say Rendon just because I can build around Rendon, him, Trey Turner, especially after you lost Harper, like, I don't know, given Strasburg, let's say he gets, you know, he gets a five year, you know, $200 million deal. Like yeah. I, if I'm Rendo, I'm banking on, look, we got the best years of Strasburg's career. He's a guy that's always has some health issues anyway. You know mm-hmm. what? We pat him on the back. We say, thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. You were amazing for us. You got us a championship. You were the first pick, all that, la, la, la. You know, we'll retire your number one day. Go go yep. to San Diego. Be a god there. Go back home and invest that money in Rendon. That's what I would do. But I can see the other way where you say, hey, you know, we, 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 you know, our, our the core, the strength of our team is pitching. We're going to keep the staff yeah. together. We can replace they, Rendon they- they still got young guys. I mean, they got Robles. Um, yeah, yeah. Like you said, like you said, Turner. Um, I think they have they have solid pieces everywhere. Um, Rendon's obviously the centerpiece of the of the whole team, but I don't think they're broken without him. Um, 
I do think without Strasburg, they're significantly hindered. That's true. That's true. And you could and you could replace Rendon easier than you could Strasburg. So yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, no, I could I, see Rendon in in Texas too. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of the media hype that Texas. Yeah, home I, home I, I would, state type deal. I would say the White Sox for Rendon. You think? Yeah, I think the White Sox. The White Sox. I think the time is now for them to do something. Yeah, um, you know, make a big splash. That that seems like a White Sox mm-hmm. move. Go out and give Rendon two hundred ninety million or whatever. Uh, yeah, I could see the White Sox. And yep. Strauss, you said the Nats, right? That's what you're going with, the Nats. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, I do agree with you. Um, couple more, Bumgarner. Oh man, I could see him going to the Angels too. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's an easy really? answer, but yeah. Well, because like I said, I thought Cole was going to go to the the Yankees. So, and I think that the Angels are going to make a move for a top pitcher. So, I think that's that's logical. I got Bumgarner with the Strohs. Really to replace Cole. Yeah. Yeah, replace Cole, bring him into that, bring him into that ecosystem. He's won big games. It's a seamless transition for him. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I don't think he's going to cost them nearly as much, obviously, as 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 uh, Cole would. Right. I think, I think, uh, I think Bumgarner with the Strohs. I like that fit. Uh, of all the free agent fits, like that, just seems like the perfect fit. Like if he was okay. going to go anywhere, I think the Strohs probably the best fit for him. Um, yeah, yeah. Here's a here's final right. one, interesting one for me. Uh, Donaldson. Yeah, that'll be. I, listen, I love I love Josh Donaldson. Um, I think he earned the money that he got this year with the Braves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I'm trying to think, I I'm, I really thought about where he'll end up. To be totally honest with you, I mean. I mean, which teams need a need a third baseman? Like, yeah, I, I mean, them. yeah, I mean the Mets. Although they could, they could, yeah, they I was could thinking stick, the Mets. Uh, but well, they could. The only reason why the Mets with third base is because they have JD Davis and they have uh, Jeff McNeil. So Jeff McNeil would be the obvious candidate to play third base on a full time basis. Um, right. But I mean, it it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Um, Donaldson, I if you're Atlanta, why wouldn't you bring him back? I mean, it's not going to cost. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. You know, he's what thirty four. I mean, so what did, I he, think what did a, he get paid this this past year? It was like twenty three mil, I think. Yeah, you got like twenty. Year. Yeah, you got like twenty three mil or whatever. So times that by two. You know, so give him like another two years. So two years, three years, or something. Yeah, three years for sixty, sixty five, or seventy. Like, I don't. I don't think that's a bad contract for Donaldson. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not a bad contract for him. Um, but if you had to pick yeah. a team, guns here. I could see him on the Astros. Really? Yeah, I could. Playing third base. So then, what do you do with Bregman? You just move him to short. Oh, I mean, you got to keep Bregman around, but he could he could DH or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I don't know if they're yeah. spending big on a DH, but. Um, no, I mean the Mets too, but 
the Rangers also, it, he could go anywhere to be honest with you. Um, I'll go, I'll go Rangers. Really? Okay. I'm, I am I'm, I'm, I'm going to ensure my prediction of, of Rendon. Um, okay. so I think one of him, one of those two will go to the Rangers. I had Rendon going to the White Sox. I have, I'm going to go with Donaldson going to, gun to my head, gun to my head. Uh, damn. I would say Donaldson to the Nationals. Okay. To replace Rendon? Rendon. Yeah, they signed. They there signed you go. Replace Rendon with Donaldson. Okay. I can see that. Seems like a Nationals move. I can see that. Yeah. That'd be a good move for them. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely, definitely see that. Uh, all right, man. I think we covered everything. I think we covered everything that I wanted to cover and then some. Yeah. It's a, yeah. A lot of ground. Great, great talk, man. I, I really, really uh, like the conversation, man. Uh, before you go, man, uh, um, plug your social media, plug where people can find you and connect with you, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, first off, thank you, man, for having me. It was a lot of fun. I love talking about baseball and sports with everyone. So thank you for having me on. It was a lot of, of fun. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, which is where I do most of my talking about baseball and, and sports. It's at Ben13Porter. So if you guys follow me there, uh, I'll connect with you. We can we can talk about baseball some more. So yeah. Not just baseball, some gambling tips as well. He gave you all some good nuggets. <laughs> yeah, within uh, what I'm allowed to say. So. <laughs> Of course, of course. We don't want to get you in trouble. No, man, thank you for being on the show, man. I, I really appreciate it. Hopefully this is the first of uh, many conversations we, we, we get to have. Um, definitely, definitely. Maybe next time we get you on and talk some football or basketball, whatever. whatever yeah, whatever, for sure. Whatever is going on. Um, yeah, man, thank you for being on the show. Always appreciate it, man. Thank uh, you for having me. No, of course, of course. Uh, everybody else, uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Um, as always, you can follow the show on Twitter at AGS Pod, on Instagram, AGS Podcast, Facebook, Any Given Na- any given Sunday. Make sure you become a member of AGS Nation. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Emmanuel Brown, uh, Instagram, Emmanuel Brown, Facebook, Emmanuel Brown, and of course, Snapchat, Bro 15 I'm going to get up out of here, let Ben and myself watch some football. I'll have the show up later today. Um, as always, thank you for listening and supporting the show. For Ben Porter, I am Manny Brown. We are out of here.
Thank you.